My name is David, and this is The Big Shut-In. It's Tuesday, June the 2nd, day 80, since my family and I went into lockdown. And tonight I talked to Colin Howard, who is a performer here in New York. He's an actor and a singer and a very interesting guy. And he's a black man. And he's someone who hadn't marched before, who hadn't demonstrated before, but who had spent a lot of time thinking about the country and the systems we all live under. And the recent protests in his neighborhood, he lives up in Harlem, around the city and around the country and around the world, really drew him out. And and he found it to be a really profound experience. And I got the feeling that I got a little peek into watching someone come into themselves as an activist. I really enjoyed talking to him about that and hearing about that experience and what surrounded it and what what preceded it and what followed it. And so without further ado, I'll hand things over to Colin. Well, right now I'm really just overeating and eating my feelings and counting the days till we can get back to normal. And they're delicious. They're delicious, aren't they? Your feelings right now? Just yeah, scrumptious feeling- feelings. Spread them on toast, man. They're just yeah. they're so good. Um, so and tell tell me about your. You know, I, I feel like we we have these nested catastrophes going on right now. Yeah. Um, catastrophe A, <laughs> the epidemic, the lockdown. Sort of, what was your situation there? Do you live alone? Are you living with friends? Like, who who are you locked in with? I well, I am alone now. I have two roommates. Who we were in, we were in this together, and then I blinked, and one left the note, got on the plane, and headed back home to Berkeley, California. And before I knew it, the other one disappeared to her family's house down in Virginia. So it's me in this big old three-bedroom apartment by myself. And for someone who doesn't necessarily enjoy being by the by themselves. I love people. Um, I'm, I'm most comfortable when I'm around people. It's, it's, it was really hard. The isolation really got to me. I just, I don't think I underestimated what this was going to be. You know what I mean? I, I think we all did at first. Yes. I was not prepared. I like routine. Now I don't have a job. And that was cool for like the first couple days or the first week. Um, but I, I was aimless. And I found myself, I didn't know what to do with my day. But as time has gone by, you know, you kind of, you acclimate or some of us acclimate. And now this seems so normal, which is so scary because it has only been three months. It's not that long. It's kind of a long time to be in solitary confinement, though, honestly. I mean, but I don't really think it's solitary anymore because you can, I've always been able to, or we have always been able to 
go to the park. I live a couple blocks from Central Park. People have always been out this whole time. Now, you're out for maybe a few minutes or an hour of the day, and it's not like going to the gym or a restaurant, but that's what kind of kept me sane. Going out for a few hours, I would take walks. In the morning, I would come back. I'm bored. I guess I'll go, I'll go walk Central Park again, come back. Well, I'm bored again. It's time to go to bed. So I did a lot of walking, and that has not kept the weight off, that's for sure. But it has, it has kept my sanity-ish. Well, so sanity-wise, particularly now that we've added catastrophe number two to the mix of all the protesting and social unrest, how are you? How are you doing? I, you know, thank you for asking. And it's a question that I don't, I don't think I've been asked so many or so much in recent memory. It's as if somebody in my family has passed, you know, and people, you know, want to check up on you. And they're like, how are you today? I get so many messages in my inbox. Uh, from uh, my friends who are white and, you know, just asking, how are you? And today I'm good. Um, I, I was off social media today because I found that it's draining. And like many people, I, I can get caught up in these, you know, social media debates on Facebook and it's exhausting and it's draining and because I'm not working, I have all the time in the world, uh, the world to, uh, devote to, to these debates. So I had, I had to, um, sign off from there, but today I'm good. Thank you for asking. You're, you're welcome. Question mark. Is, is it a question you, I mean, is, is being checked on by, scores of white people um, a comfort or is it, does it feel patronizing? <laughs> no, 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 it's not patronizing at all. You know, these, these are people who I have relationships with, who I've gone to college. Actually, you know, it's so interesting. It's, it's people who I'm close friends with, of course. And it's also people who I haven't, or talked to in eons who I went to college with. I graduated in 2005, who I guess, you know, they see my, you know, my Facebook and, you know, like a lot of people, I'm talking a lot about what's going on and they're really, they're really just checking in. They really want to know how are you and what can I do? Whether it be, what can I do to help you personally or what can I do as a white person uh, to show that I'm with you because, you know, it's very, it's very different what I can do and what white people can do in this, in this situation is very different. Um, and when, so tell, tell me about your first awareness of the, the George Floyd situation and kind of, what your initial reaction was and what the initial reaction you were sort of feeling in your neighborhood was when that, when that went down. But guess when it first happened, I, I, 
I must have picked up on the story when it hit national news. I the sad thing is I didn't initially think anything of it. I'm so anesthetized to this stuff. It's just like okay, and I believe you know something had it was right after uh, what happened in Georgia. So I think I was still on that. That one, that story was the one where I was like, oh my god. Because it really, it was a modern, it was a modern day lynching. These men went after this man. That's the story, and that's the video that was circulating. And we were just like, "Oh my God, what's going on here?" I had almost forgotten about that Georgia story. See, and isn't that terrible? It's terrible. I mean, this stuff. This is this is 2020. Like <laughs> we forgot about the Georgia story, and then in between that, there's Brianna Taylor in Louisville. Which, which is the, the, uh, the young lady who was uh, in bed with her boyfriend. She was a public servant in the city, and cops mistakenly thought there was a, uh, some criminal there that they were looking for, but turns out they had already arrested the guy, and they lit her place up, killing her. And her boyfriend pulled out a gun on the cops because they didn't identify themselves and they tried to, um, they uh, charged him with attempted murder. Luckily, those charges were dropped. But, oh, it's a, it's a whole mess. So initially, it's like, eh, another guy died at the hands of police. Okay. You know, it's like, it's like school shootings now where, oh, that is really sad. Carry on with my day. Because we're just so used to it. But then when it, when it started picking up steam is when I really started to take notice. And then before you know it, now, now we have protests. And I think anybody who has been around long enough, whether it's been through the Rodney King riots or even older, my parents or maybe your parents, you know, protest is always going to, it's always going to boil over into something else. I did not expect it to take take it to go where it is now across across the world. We have people in Iran uh, peacefully protesting on our behalf. Germany, London, it's it's absolutely incredible. When did you make the decision to to go out and and march and be a part of the protests that were happening? So it. This was my first protest, and I saw the protest going on, and somebody sent me something on Friday saying there was a protest this, this past Saturday. I said, I'm going to that. I have to go. Uh, it was only up the street, so if anything popped off and uh, went, went south, I could quickly make an exit back to the comfort of my apartment. Uh, we got up there. And so this is Saturday night and this is in Harlem. This was Saturday day from 12, 12 to two in front of the Adam Clayton Powell state building. And of course it was there. So I get there and first thing I see is it's everybody. It's a rainbow. And that warmed my heart because, of course, P. 
people of color are going to be there. This, you know, this fight is for us. But to see, you know, white people, Latinos, Indian, you know, everybody was well represented. Uh, so it it just felt good. I w- well, first walking, having never witnessed this, I felt like okay, I'm here. I'm I'm my presence enough and I you know I wasn't chanting or anything but then something happened and I like got caught up in it and I started I started crying multiple times I'm watching people honk as we're walking down and watching the bus drivers city employees honk and fist bump and all that I'm I could well up thinking about it now actually it it was completely overwhelming and when I got home that evening between Saturday and all day Sunday, I was a mess. I was so emotionally drained. I I said I said, oh, I can't do this every. I can't do this more than at least once a week. I'll go out again, but there was no way I was going out on Sunday. When I it was, I thought to myself, I can't imagine what it must have been like for people during the civil rights. If I went out for five hours on one day to protest and I'm home a mess, what 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 was it like for these people who did this for years? Ugh, man. Hmm. How do you feel about police officers generally in your life? What goes through your mind when you see, when you interact with the police? I... You know, I I was thinking about this. Um, I was talking to my mother about this today. I am very fortunate that I haven't had a negative interaction with police. I know what can happen. I've had this. I've had my parents give me the talk. Um, but tell me about the talk. What's the talk? The talk. You know, the talk is when you. Definitely, this happened for me at least because I think because I'm from the suburbs. My talk may have happened later in life. It was when I got my license. So you know, if you get stopped by the cops, which I did a number of times, you keep those hands on the steering wheel. You don't talk back. It's a yes sir, no sir, no no matter what. Even if if whatever they say to you, you keep your cool, and it's a yes sir. No, sir, we'll deal with it after the fact. But your job is to get out of there in one piece and not and not have a situation escalate, which sucks because that shouldn't that shouldn't be my responsibility. An officer is a professional. This, I'm I'm potentially full of fear or whatever heightened emotion. The officer is supposed to be the level headed person here. You're trained for this. But you know, they're human beings. I I have I have family that are police officer, FBI agents, detectives. Um, I don't view police officers in a negative light per se. I even the other day I walk past police officers and I tell them all the time, I was like, please be safe. I I don't want harm to come to police officers, but I also recognize that they are such, they close ranks on their own 
when something goes wrong and there is a systemic abuse of power that has been going on for generations and generations and they they get away with this stuff with with impunity they're and that's a and that's a problem and black people aren't the only target of police brutality but we're definitely the majority you know what i mean and for sure but i know there are good cops out there i know that i think anybody who would argue otherwise is delusional but the system is broken the system is 100 percent broken across the board in all 50 states would you hesitate if you were in trouble if your apartment was robbed if you were would you hesitate to call to call call on the police to help you yeah i i'm black of course i would i think culturally and this could be a blanket statement but i i would argue that a number of uh black people would say we try to keep the police out of out out of our lives as much as possible there are too many cases of us calling like who where was this the young lady in i want to say texas who her neighbor she left her front door open and her neighbor called the cops for a wellness check and she ended up dead they shot her through the blinds while she was playing a video game with her nephew so yeah we don't call the police unless we have to and that's awful one our taxes pay for these people this is their job to protect us and we're terrified of them because even if we're the victim we could end up dead and that's the sad reality so no i don't i would prefer not to call the police if i if i didn't have to i was talking to somebody yesterday and um it it strikes me that there's two different functions different philosophies of the function of a police department Mm. um in our country and that i think there's a very what i'm observing is that there's a there's a there's a line down the middle of most particularly most urban police departments about what their function is and the first one of those things is kind of what we teach what i you know what white people anyway teach their children police are for which is you know help you if you're in trouble catch the bad guys right that's one philosophy of policing and there's this other thing and it was interesting you were saying about we want to keep the police out of our thing and Mm -hmm. i I think there's a lot of there's a significant faction in the country in police departments that see the function of police as really maintaining that line Mm. between white people and black people <laughs> between the city and the suburbs between you know and and this language is sort of military language of holding the line we are the thin blue mm-hmm. line standing on the wall like what is that wall where is that line right why is there a line why is there a wall you know i, I it strikes me that 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 kind of internal um 
schizophrenia right in, yeah in police departments of what their job actually is is maybe what's going on now what's coming out in all of this yeah in, and in i the think that, view. that uh spills over into like you just said well uh, white people and black people, we need a police different. Because if, if you go on Facebook, where you're you're more most likely to get someone's honest opinion or their views uh, because they feel safe, I am more likely to read comments from white people that are in like blind support of the police department and this cognitive dissonance to what's actually going on around around them, even though it's so, I mean, it's clear as day, but I got in a Facebook discussion with like five people this week about, but the police, these poor police, they're having people uh, yell at them. And, you know, in some cases they're getting injured and I'm thinking, hello, I get that, and I don't want that to happen, but you understand that the police are killing people of color, right? And nothing. It's not all they see is the police, because the police to them are their saviors. They're there to help them, because their, their privilege allows that, has afforded them that right that the police are there, and in some cases, for they're like their personal security force, as we, Amy Cooper, and all, and you know, and the Karens who call the police when black people aren't acting the way that they that they think they should. That Karen, the Karens of the world, thinks that they should, which is silently somewhere where they can't be seen. I think. Right. Why? Why are you in my neighborhood? Why? I don't like that you're playing this music in this in this free open space that I actually have no authority over, but I'm going to call the police because my privilege affords me that right. And in doing that, most of the time these people don't understand what you are when you call the cops on people of color, you are potentially helping end this person's life. I know that sounds extreme, but it's the truth. It has happened. Sure. And luckily, we have phone, we have cameras. If we didn't, I, who knows how much has gone on before we had social media and before cameras. God bless these cameras on these phones, man. As intrusive as they are in our everyday life and everybody's on the phone, it's honestly a savior for people of color. Or at least a way of getting justice because even though people have died there's video and people sometimes go to jail but that's a whole nother thing i mean are you ever just sometimes i'm just sort of stunned when i i try and take an objective position and look at the country and sometimes i'm just stunned by culturally how much division there is between white America and black America, that there really are these two parallel countries almost. It's that, wild, isn't it? It's wild. Different. I can, the fact that I can tell the color of someone's skin by their accent mm -hmm. and 
you know, that there's different music, different food, different cultural references, different different way of dressing, different I mean it's it's amazing. It's amazing really. Well what's even more what's yeah. even more amazing is that black culture is the foundation of this country, culturally speaking. Um 100%, yeah, it is. And, you know, it's it's often snatched from us and then and then repackaged as something that somebody white has come up with and then, you know, we for black people, we're or people of color all over, we have to, we have to survive in both worlds. Whereas white people don't. They get to look in on our world. But unless they want to, they don't have to be part of it. But we have to be a part of the white world. And then there are those of us who who dance in both worlds for for whatever reason, whether it be professional or maybe we're in an interracial relationship, you know, and that's an art in itself because then you get into microaggressions, you get into do I have do I have to present differently? You know, there's there's just so there's so many layers. You said something interesting um, right at the beginning that I put a pin in, and I, w- I want to go ahead and pull that out. Mm. Where you're saying that there are different things that black people and white people can do in this situation. Those were your words. What are those? Di- what are those things? Uh, well, I can tell you right off the bat, the number one thing that white people can do is listen. Listen, 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 and listen without commentary. Shut up and listen. Pretend you have no tongue. Just listen. A lot of times, because of privilege, um, people want to explain to people of color. The, the very people who have been experiencing this, this systemic racism for 400 plus years, but no white people are going to tell us how it really is. You know, there's a lot of that. And some of it, I really don't think comes from uh, a place of malice. I just think, I just think people don't know any better because we as a country have never had the conversation we keep putting a Band-Aid on a wound that needs to be sutured up. You know what I mean? For, for sure, yeah. So when we talk about it, we don't talk about it. And everybody gets uncomfortable. And it, we, we don't go anywhere. So listen is the number one thing I would say for, for white people to do. Black, black people, we need to organize. We, and I know it's hard because this person thinks we need to do this, this, you know, there's so, there's so many ideas of what needs to be done, but there needs to be some like central message that we can all agree on. We have black lives movement and we have of course some other organizations, but we need like a central idea of what it is we want and how we're going to get there. Do you think the United States of America is capable of being truly integrated. Do you think we have it in us for those two streams of culture to actually become a single river of Americanness? 
whatever that would look like. Yes, I I think I think um, this is gonna sound so harsh. I think a couple generations need to go first, but yes, one hundred percent. I think my generation and the generation after after me are the ones who are going to make the change. It's not going to be my parents, and it's certainly not going to be my grandparents, but 100%. But the problem with this country, we're so hesitant um, to change anything. We're so stuck in our ways, and I think because we've done so well as a nation for so long, we're really stubborn as a nation. And that's and that's across the board. But yes, I 100% believe that we can get to an in- integrated site or as integrated as possible. And we have moments. Uh, unfortunately, it's usually during national tra- tragedy where we come together, something like this. It's there. But it, it, it's going to take an acknowledgement on a whole from white people uh, to, you know, acknowledge their, how they've benefited from, from a system of slavery. Even now it's going to, it's going to take as people have to acknowledge that we as a people, people of color are still affected by the system of slavery, how it's built into the system in every which way and i always say that you know people of color we've we've succeeded in spite of as opposed to on a whole of course you know i not an individual an individual white person but in white people have have succeeded in this country because of we've succeeded in spite of i've been waiting to get that one out thank you Anytime. Do you think that the timing of this, the scale of these demonstrations, is related to the quarantine? I mean, who the knows? Honestly, 2020 is just woof. <laughs> woof indeed. I mean, I just think. What's what's gonna happen in July? This is yeah, I mean, right. No, I'm like oh, we're all holding our breath for June. Um, I think, you know, and I'm gonna get all like meta. I think the, I think the universe has been preparing for this for a long time. Um, I think it it definitely doesn't. I think it possibly fuels the fire. Um, because people already have so much pent-up aggression and rage over not having jobs and, you know, 100,000-plus people dying out of nowhere. So possibly, but honestly, I think this has always been brewing. It's always on a breeze, a slow and low. And somebody somewhere... This action, these actions that happened in in Georgia, Louisville, and obviously in Minnesota, you know, the chef turned up the heat, and now we're boiling over. The question is, 
what what is going to happen after this? Are we turning are we turning the the heat the eye on a stove back down to a, a slow low simmer, or are we gonna are we gonna keep the heat on on that pot? You know what I mean? Like what next? Or figure out how to take it off the stove eventually. Or figure out and ultimately that that's the end goal. But until until we can have an, a real honest conversation as a nation, it's not going to happen. I I think it does start with a conversation, and again, I just don't think that people are willing to have it. My name is David Hoffman, and this is the Big Shut In. I produce the show. It's a production of Race Car Radio, racecarradio.com. If you have feedback for me or you have a story that you think I should hear, please feel free to reach out, thebigshutin at racecarradio.com. Race Car Radio is a division of Citizen Race Car, Applied Imagination.